Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Home365. Home365 is a real estate company that helps people just like you invest and manage real estate across the country. Home365 has local realtors scattered in various markets who are investing experts. They help you find a great investment based on your own personal goals. Home365 also manages over 8,000 units across the country with over 150 employees, combining incredible first-party, mobile-first technology with local feet on the street. They even offer a one-rate guaranteed product that takes the risk of eviction, vacancy, and day-to-day maintenance out of real estate. The company is backed by incredible partners like Verizon and Samsung to bring the best innovation to your property. To learn more, you can go to www.home365.co, email service at home365.co, or call 717-413-6976. Look forward to hearing from you. All right, guys, I am super pumped to have our latest guest here in the Real Estate Hackers podcast, Josh Jensen. Josh is a co-founder of an incredibly interesting company, really doing some cool things in the inspection space. Not what you'd normally think of as ripe for technology disruption, but but really excited to hear him kind of talk about what he's doing, what he's seeing in the markets. Obviously, he sees a lot of different data. Uh, So Josh, thanks so much for joining us and uh, and really excited to hear all about Inspectify, the company that you uh, co-founded and now run. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. So, Josh, maybe just start with your kind of background. How, how the heck do you end up starting a company doing home inspections? And, and maybe also just give maybe folks a, a quick kind of overview of what Inspectify is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, my background, I, I started my career in engineering, uh, not software engineering, mechanical engineering. So I worked for Caterpillar for a handful of years designing diesel engines and, and mining trucks. And and I uh, got sick of the monotony of of a big company, so I uh, uh, did the cliche pivot into tech via grad school. So I went to grad school in the East Coast, um, started a, my first company. When I was there, made my way out to Seattle and, and worked for a couple uh, early stage companies. Most recently was a company called Fly Homes, um, which was one of the original power buyers. Um, I helped uh, run operations there for a handful of years, helped a couple thousand people through the process of buying a home, and so obviously some related experience there to the inspection space. I um, actually uh, uh, had a handful of inspectors who reported direct to me and, um, when I was working at Fly Homes, but probably more relatable to um, Inspectify and, and really to this podcast. Uh, I've been pretty active in real estate um, since my early 20s. So I, I bought my first house right out of school, fixed, sold that, um, met my wife. She was just as crazy about it as I was. And you know, over the last decade, we've probably bought and sold over 50 homes. And so um, had a, a pretty firsthand experience in the real estate transaction to the diligence process and how inspections fit into that. 
And really that was the, the, the impetus. Um, I think the, the original, my first inspection experience um, was in 2011, right out of school. You know, the inspector did a good job. He's a de- decent guy. And, but I remember finishing up the inspection and I was handed this 120 page document. He printed it from his truck before he left. And within this document was everything I needed to know to manage my home, to maintain my home. Right, it had things down to the defects. It had where my water shutoff was, what the appliances I had in the home, but there was really no utility in that report. Right, it was just this written document that you know was had purpose for the for the transaction. Right, I can negotiate a price reduction, um, help have confidence in the purchase I was making, but the wealth of data that was being captured, there was really no connected tissue there. And I always had this you know, idea in the back of my mind that. God, if I could only connect that data, think of how that could be used in the appraisal process, in the rehab rental process, in the insurance process. But you know, you know, as founders, um, you know, you typically don't start a company based off a cool idea. You want to try to find a pain point, right? And there wasn't this glaring pain point there. And so, if you fast forward ten years later, I'm working for working for uh, Fly Homes, and that's where the pain point really was identified. Um, you know, at Fly Homes, when I was there, we were doing a, you know maybe 100 transactions a month. And I literally had a team of five people that just managed inspections for fly homes. That was just our job. It was just to manage the calendar Tetris, getting inspectors in and out of the home, getting reports back and making sense of it. And so I had this realization that the people that have high volume of inspections, brokerages and agents, investors, lenders, insurance carriers, property managers, they have a pretty, pretty... pretty sizable operational headache of just managing inspections. And so if I could solve that headache, I would have a lot of demand that I could then get supply and have control over supply to be able to collect the data and do a lot of more things besides just making it easy to get inspections booked. And so that kind of leads us to where we are today and what Inspectify is. We describe ourselves as the first vertically integrated property inspection platform. And so we work across that broad spectrum of verticals that is described. We work with agents and their consumers around a home purchase. We work with power buyers like a fly homes or home light that are unlocking liquidity in the purchase for the consumer. We work with the eye buyers. We work with institutional REITs and wholesalers and individual investors. We work with property management companies and lenders and insurance carriers. And really the common thread there is anybody that's trying to gather data around a home and make informed insights and decisions around that data, we have an offering for, right? And that offering is one a network of thousands of inspectors across the U.S. and Canada that we can dispatch at a moment's notice to, to do property inspections on demand. So think of that like Uber for inspections, if you will. But more profoundly, we've built proprietary inspection software that allows us to, one, customize what's being captured to fit what the partner needs. So what a first-time home buyer needs from an inspection compared to invitation homes is two very different things. We can handle that level of uniqueness. But most importantly is that data is now heavily structured. So if you want to know the serial number of every every water heater I've ever inspected, it's a three-line query in my database. And now we can connect that data with other platforms to create more and more value for our partners. And that is what we're building at Inspectify and who we are. It's really cool. But before we get into, I mean, like 100 questions, first, I uh, it's funny, the whole big binder comment you made. I remember the first house I bought I was given the binder and uh, I just remember thinking to myself, what the heck am I going to do with this thing? (laughs) And uh, it is interesting. I mean, 
forget about even the data. There's just also a lot of like useful information in that in that inspection that it's like the binder you know goes in your basement somewhere and uh, and then you buy another home and what do you have another binder and another home and, you know I mean when you get, eventually you can have you know you buy 20 single family homes you only have 20, 20 binders laying around in some in some room it just doesn't make a lot of doesn't make a lot of sense I guess is probably the short answer um, so that's funny so, so I totally get it totally get the the, the data side of this a couple kind of questions come to mind one is I'm curious, what are some use cases you're finding with the data um, that that's structured? Yeah, what are some kind of use cases that come to mind that that people are using the data for that and maybe maybe things you didn't expect that'd be helpful? Yeah, I I like to think about applications of the data under two structures. There's a micro application and there's a macro application of this data. And so the micro side is if you think about a home as as an inspection occurring at a single point in time over the life cycle of a property. Whereas when we collect that data, how that data can be connected into any transaction or service or occurrence that happens anytime after that initial transaction, right? So for think about the use case of an acquisition inspection where you know an investor is, is purchasing um, a new investment property and they're doing that inspection to understand condition and help scope the work. You know, some, some obvious use cases that we've already identified is, you know, the most immediate one is what happens you know, right after you do the inspection. You're typically putting together a scope of work to understand what are, what's my, my rehab costs. I can think of cash flows and ROI and yields, depending on you know, how you think about your properties. And, you know, inspections of the old, you know, my inspection I got in 2011, it was that 100-page document. So before Inspectify came around, you would take that document and transcribe it into your spreadsheet and put together that statement of work, right? And it might take you a couple hours to do so. Um, and you know, because of that friction built in, people usually just went to having a GC walk it with them and to, to build that budget, right? And so what we've realized is there's there's a conflict of interest in that process, right? The, the, the GC is scoping the work and they're getting paid to do the work. They're going to maybe potentially call out more work that needs to be done. Whereas if you could just collect clean structured data from an inspector who has no skin in the game in terms of transaction. They're going to tell you the real, real, and be able to make that connected tissue between the inspection report and your scoping um, exercise. There's significant operational savings that can happen from that, right? And so, you know, we're currently building an offering that will take an inspection report and within minutes build a high fidelity you know, rehab budget to allow you to automate how you think about scope of work um, and get, get you closer to starting the job and actually getting the work done so you can either cash flow it or sell it in, from a flip perspective. And so that's an immediate application. From there, you can think about what else happens within that transaction before you close. Let, let me just pause you real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I assume Zillow wasn't a customer. Maybe they should have been a customer of this data. <laughs> we work with most CI buyers, and that was one that we did not work with. So. Okay. Um, not going to say anything beyond that, but yeah, we did not have the opportunity to work with Zillow. So. I don't have any inside baseball data there, but it sure seems like for someone of that size, uh, there were certain things they had a lot of, which was brand presence and, and probably inquiries to people who wanted to sell to them. Uh, something tells me that the, the where they fell apart was some of that granular data that they were missing. Um, in terms of getting uh, properties turned, so it's it's interesting to see uh, that, that they weren't a, a client, and uh, and I wonder if 
maybe part of what you'll be able to do is actually open up scale for iBuyers to move faster um, as you maybe solve some pain points here for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, if you think about what it takes to be an iBuyer, right? To be an iBuyer, you need the you need capital, right? And, and and in today's world in real estate, there's more and more capital that's available for the average investor than ever before, right? There's right. more alternative products. So that's great. It's amazing for your average investor, right? You need the ability to underwrite Right. And that's where we think we can create a lot of value in terms of helping people understand the true cost. And then finally, you need somebody to do the work. Right. You need you need resources to do that. And so if we can if capital is already there, we can help you collect the right data. We can also potentially connect contractors to be able to help automate that entire work. You can open up a whole new audience to become iBuyers. Right. But the reality is like and, and, you know, folks that have done well in the iBuying space, it's a it's a you know, you're on razor thin margins and like, you've got to have everything dialed in. So if you're, if your data structure is not perfect, if your pricing is not perfect, like, and you're doing it at amazing scale, like high, high scale, like, yeah, you can lose a lot of money. You can make a lot of money, but you can lose a lot of money as well. And right, I think totally. what's really, what could be a lot of fun is, you know, provide, you know, the, the, you know, the mom and pops that, you know, may want to buy a couple homes a year, if they can get the tools and the capital to effectively be an eye buyer, I think there's a really interesting world and opens up a whole new, you know, vertical of, of folks getting into real estate investing. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I think that's part of what this whole podcast is about. And that's, that's what this whole ecosystem is about is uh, how one, one new piece of technology, it's not just about that company growing, but it's all the other dominoes that start to fall that, that wouldn't have been able to have fallen without them. Right, it's like uh, like what, what when the smartphone finally came out with the App Store, that was one piece of tech that then led to all these other things being created that that weren't value, viable businesses before um, that are now viable businesses. So it's interesting how uh, your business is is very much one of those chains. Um, I'll let you keep going. So, so that's that's one use case. What maybe give us another one that, that maybe is yeah. like a, a different use case. If you think about it, as you move through the transaction, like the, the next thing, you know, depending on what your capital structure is, you probably need to value that home, right? To underwrite the capital be deployed. So, you know, in, in the traditional consumer purchase, you have a GSE compliant appraisal that has to occur on that property. And if you think about one of the single largest bottlenecks and, and, and effectively linchpins in the mortgage industry, it is the appraisal. Like there's significant shortage in appraisers and it's taking... 10, 15, sometimes 20 days to get that appraisal report back. And the beautiful thing that's happened in the appraisal industry in the last, really the last couple months, um, is it's becoming more and more common to allow what is called a desktop or a hybrid appraisal, where somebody that's not a licensed appraiser can actually collect the data needed to perform the appraisal work. And so if you think about what an inspector is capturing during a traditional acquisition inspection, you know, through our platform, we're obviously capturing a pretty robust set of conditional information around the home, what's the condition of the, all the major systems. But we also have the ability to capture floor plans as well. And so you get an ANSI compliant floor plan with this conditional data. And we already have partners using it today where they can basically do an inspection and appraisal in 72 hours, right? And so when in a market where you know velocity is both king and queen, like be able to offer a very, very quick turn on both diligence as well as valuation is can can make or break the deal 
right? And so that's a really interesting application where I remember when the first homes I sold in LA, I was there for both the appraisal and the inspection, right? And so I'm sitting in my home and this, they both show up around the same time. That appraisal is in and out of the home within 15 minutes, right? Whereas my inspector is there for another hour and 45 minutes, captured everything. And so you have this very robust data set that can now augment the valuation to make things even more impactful. So that's another one that we're, we're really, really excited about as, as real estate transactions become more and more streamlined. Interesting. I'm curious, are you seeing uh, anyone use the data in like a more historical sense, starting to improve their how they value deals or basically saying, look, here was the initial inspection and then we flipped the home three months later or we held on to the home three months later. How does that initial inspection correlate with our long, long-term success of this project? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, it's a vision where we want to get to eventually, right? Where, and again, that's more the macro application of data, right? We talk about micro, but the macro is, Imagine you've got inspection data aggregated across not thousands of homes, but millions of homes, right? Um, where you can start to use heuristics to predict future value, predict future you know, rehab costs based about the information being captured. You know, the reality is we're still an early stage company. Like we started early 2020. And so we're getting broader scale, um, but you know, still have a long way to go, right? But we, we want to get there eventually. But I think the really cool thing about housing in general um, is, you know, by large, most homes are heterogeneous, but there is some interesting connections you can make it. Like my, I live in West Seattle here um, in the Northwest and my neighborhood in West Seattle, all the homes are built in my neighborhood within a couple of years by the same builder, right? And this was, you know, the mid 1950s, right? And so if I have inspection data on one of those homes in my street, I can still make correlations amongst all the other homes, right? So I don't need to get to a point where I have all 140 million odd housing units on Inspectify, but I, if I have good comps, I can still make pretty pretty interesting comparisons between them um, because those homes are typically installed with the same finishes. They're both by the same builder. And so a lot of that conditional level data can still be correlated without having every single home on my platform. Obviously, our goal is we want to have every single home on our platform, but we can still get to an interesting point of macro app, data application well before we get there. Yeah, totally. You know, an HOA neighborhood is built with 300 homes, almost all the same. You get one, you've, you've kind of got 300 concepts of what's all in that neighborhood. Uh, uh, you know, at least 90% of the way there, which which tells you a lot. As well as you kind of know the age already of when a, a lot of those things are, you know, there's a lot of those similarities that, that you can kind of guess um, pretty quickly. Cool. I, I'm interested as you look towards the next, you know, year or two, what are, what are some things that, you guys are thinking about of, of how this evolves and how the data becomes more valuable? Yeah, I think for us, you know, when we started the business, we were very much focused on the real estate transaction, right? Because when you think of inspections, that's where usually your mind goes. It's like, oh, you have this home inspection that's tied to the purchase of a home. Well, the reality is, you know, what we've learned over the last, you know, even six months is there are hundreds of touch points that happen over, over the lifetime, life cycle of a property where data needs to be captured, right? And so, you know, we think there's a really interesting application that to one, not only be the de facto solution for all those touch points, but also how can we connect 
previous inspection data with those future touch points to make them more efficient, more effective, and more profound, right? And, and so I think there's this really interesting unlock of you know getting your space in terms of of how you think about managing a property based upon the data you have, right? If if I could tell you as a property manager that here's a certain number of every appliance, this is recall data, this is when we expect them to fail, right? It helps you minimize reactive maintenance where you have to replace the water heater and the drywall and the mold remediation and just replace the water heater before it gets there, right? And, and so I think there's there's really interesting um, use case of, of, of being of connecting that data over the life cycle of the home to help drive more efficiencies as the property is being managed, right? And that doesn't mean that that we always need to get a license inspector in your house to collect that data, right? And so the other interesting thing that we're working through is you can imagine, you know, last month alone on Inspectify, to give you some context, we captured over 500,000 unique images of defects found around the home, right? And it's not just raw data. It's not this like, here's 500,000 photos, go look at those. It's This is an image of a water heater with missing seismic straps. This is an image of a roof that has granular loss um, in the in the asphalt shingles. And so we're starting to build models to say, hey, what if the tenant could take a picture of common appliances in, in the home and not only capture data, there's plenty of other software platforms that, that tenants can use to capture data, but more profoundly, identify what's in the image, right? And, and be able to highlight to the owner, to the operator, the manager to say, hey, this is where we, we think there's a, a maintenance issue here. Let's go address that. And, and so not only does that allow us to create more value from this macro data being captured, but two, it allows us to get more and more data in the system. And now that can be connected. And hey, by the way, that when that property goes to be sold, you know, maybe to another investor or maybe to a consumer, who, who knows when who will purchase that property, you now have this pretty robust data set that goes with it, which, which gives more confidence in that purchase that, hey, this house has been maintained. Here's all the records. Here's everything that comes with it. So I think this idea of lifecycle data of properties is something that we're very, very excited about, um, where we can drive more efficiency gains, more efficacy, efficacy gains for our partners. So, Cool. I'm, I'm curious, is there anything you feel like you've learned? I don't know that if someone's out there who's a investor, I don't know, maybe how traditional inspections are, are missing certain specific items or flippers are missing something that, that's kind of coming to light. Now that you're seeing so many inspections being done and so much data, um, that, that a more tech-driven approach to inspections is maybe shown that the kind of like old school approach was was kind of missing and maybe something in, in investors can be kind of aware of as they're walking homes uh, to acquire. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting in how traditional inspections fit in the investor community. I think it's only been the last couple of years we've seen a, a lot more adoption of inspections. And I think we played a, a, a role within that. And the main reason why it really wasn't wasn't very common in the past is if you take that standard inspection report that was 100, 120 pages, majority of that content were either disclaimers or general statements. And the, the report maybe had 14 photos in it, right? And so if you're an investor that is trying to hit a certain cap rate or a certain yield, the chances of you being in the market that that and, and only buying in that one market where you can walk yourself is probably becoming very, very limited, right? And so 
you're relying more and more on third parties to be your boots on the ground, to be your eyes on the ground, to be able to understand and help evaluate that condition. And so there's some really simple stuff we can do, which is extremely elementary. I'll be the first to say it, which is just take more photos. Like it, it's that simple. Like when I walk into a room, let's take four wide angle shots. So I can get a, a feel for that property, get a feel for the condition, get a feel for like I'm actually being there to be able to help underwrite and be able to deploy capital, you know, in markets may I may not have a presence in. Right. And so there's some pretty simple stuff like that. But then it's also, well, if we can start cap- capturing dimensional data, right. And I know that the living room is 172 square feet and I've got a pricing model that, that it's a price per square based off the finishes, I can now streamline how I actually underwrite and build these scopes faster than ever before. And so I think, you know, when I, to be completely transparent, when I was first doing investments, when I was buying my first couple homes, I was that inspector and I would just, I would never dream of paying to have an inspector go and walk the property because they didn't know what I wanted, right? They were going to come give me this like blanket report that really had no utility, no use. And, you know, both by my growing pains, but also working with, you know, some of the, the best operators out there, we're, we're at a point now that, you know, reports are pretty high utility, right? Where you can actually fully underwrite a home within a matter of minutes from 3,000 miles away. Right. And so I think this opens up, if you're an investor that's trying to deploy more capital, opens up more markets, opens up more dynamic um, response to markets. Like maybe you want to start buying in Oklahoma City tomorrow and stop in two days. You don't have to worry about building a headcount around that. Um, so this offers a much more dynamic um, um, approach to, to doing acquisitions, which we're pretty excited about. That's awesome. Of your business, what percent do you see being used by people who are going to essentially flip the home, you know, it's a very, very short term thing versus more long term, right? Is, is it like half and half? Or uh, I had this theory of is that long term, we're going to actually see people flip homes less. And I have no idea if I'm right or not. This will just maybe I'll, I'm, maybe part two of this question is I'm curious what you think. Uh, but I think the, uh, the transactional cost is so high to sell the home that when you can keep it, refi it, uh, not pay tax on it. When 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 capital is not an issue, uh, oftentimes that's the better play. So I guess two parts of the question: one is how much of your data is long term versus flipping, and then uh, do you do you maybe share my belief that over time we see less less actual flipping happen because they don't actually have to pay the transactional cost on the on the end, on the end of it. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to answer your first one, you know it's interesting because we. We service a large segment. A large segment of our business is the investment community, right? And so within that, I don't think I have enough data to say exactly what the mix is, but most of our folks that are using us are buying to rent in some capacity. Now, is it a is it a short-term hold versus a long-term hold? I really, I'm not privy to that, but most of the folks using our platform are, are buying the property to, um, you know, Fix and then cash flow. We do have our share of folks that are buying with the, the pure intent to sell. Um, you know, after work so, is so done. it is it is it is primarily people who want to hold this asset over time. Yeah, but I think that's more of a function of of who we've retained potentially initially as customers versus a broader market feel, right? And so okay. I, maybe there's a caveat to that is we're still an early stage company, so we, we there's I wouldn't say that we're the market norm in terms of you know we're we're not. We're not your uh, your benchmark in terms of what the industry is doing, right? We we probably just have more customers that you know respond to that. 
Now, in terms of your second part of the question of how I feel about it, I think I mean, it's a really interesting question. I think personally, when my wife and I, my wife does it full time in terms of our investments, we initially o- only flipped. We would buy and, and sell and, you know, did quite well. Especially, It's hard to screw that up when appreciation is 10% a year, right? Um, it's pretty easy to make money doing that. I think- Basically what, do nothing and you're going to make You money. could literally <laughs> do nothing. Yeah. And, and But I think where I'm at now is I would never sell a property. Like I, I, I look at when we moved to Seattle, the first house we bought and sold, we bought it for three twenty-five. We put fifty into it. We sold it for four seventy-five. Very nice return. That property sold a month ago for seven hundred, and the person didn't do a thing. They didn't do a single thing. It's exactly the same house that we did all the work on, right? So here I'm, I'm like, we then did this like optimization of buying more homes, houses, and flips those. But if we just held on that property and got more creative on our capital, like we we would basically have tripled our return. Right now, granted, that would have been over three or four years, but I think I've always, and I'm extremely biased in this space, so um, take this with a grain of salt. But I've always seen real estate as by far the best investment class because it's one of the only things that you can't create more of. Right? There's only so much land out there. Like, you think about the true like indicator of a good currency. Scarcity is by far the most important factor. And so there's nothing more scarce than real estate. You can't, you can build up, I suppose, but you can't create more land. There's only so much of it out there. Right. Um, and so with that in mind, I think, you know, me personally, we're going to keep holding. We're not going to do, um, you know, flips anymore. That being said, I think there's an interesting world where there's more and more creative ways for average consumers to get involved in real estate investing, right? And, and, and flipping, and maybe not actually, especially if we go back to where we started in terms of democratizing eye buying, that I think you'll just have more interest. And by with more interest being there, I think you'll still see people flipping, right? But I think, I don't know, not that I'm a savvy investor, but just the, the, the personal journey I've gone on as a real estate investor is everything I'm seeing now is I'm going to hold and maybe sell off ones that aren't performing as well to be optimistic to buy more holds. But the idea of, of doing the fix and flip game, I've seen basically my sweat equity. I could have got more returns if I just would have held on the property. So yeah, that's my yeah, no question. Um, cool. I have a very specific inspection question for you. Uh, you so you see a lot of inspections. Uh, is there anything after all this? Inspe- well, how many inspections have you, have you done? Like what? I don't even know. You've seen maybe tens of thousands of inspections now on the platform, like hundreds yeah. of thousands, tens. Done. I think we're over fifty thousand now. So. Okay, it's a lot of inspections, and, and, and you have a lot. Of, you have a lot of experience too. Um, is is there anything in particular that you've seen that, and that maybe you don't have the data for this, but that is like a super high variance thing that when you see it, you're now kind of like, oh man, if I saw that. I'd be a little nervous about that property because like the worst case is really bad. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the, it's, it's a weird question, right? But it's like, what's like a very high variance thing that, you know, for example, like the opposite of this would be like refrigerator is not working. It's pretty low variance. Like get a new refrigerator. Refrigerator is going to be somewhere between 500 and $700, right? Um, compared to some things, uh, I don't know, mold or asbestos or, there's probably a couple of things out there that are like super high variant items. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. You know, I, I think my opinion here is both from reading hundreds, if not thousands, of inspection reports, as well as flipping as many homes as we've had. We're at a point now that we've we've done multiple studs down, right? So, like, 
there, there, um, you know, there's very few defects out there that will scare me. Right. The thing that always gives me caution. And when I see this, I pause and really, really think the deal is when I start to see what I call weekend warrior work, where it's obvious that the homeowner or their friend down the street did a lot of the work that I'm seeing in the house that scares the hell out of me. Right. Because it's like, it's not just about what you see, but what can you not see. Right. Which is one of the biggest limitations of inspection. It's like, you don't know the shoddy wiring work that they did and then covered up with drywall. And you won't know it until you either take that down or there's some heaven forbid some type of fire or spark. Right. And so there's usually, once you see some of it, it's everywhere. And those are typically deals that we just walk away from. It's like, this is either you have the budget to shell it and build build from scratch. And if you don't, then it's probably not worth it because you're going to keep finding more and more problems. But like, you know, mold, even like horizontal cracks in the foundation, which has always been the big, you know, you see a horizontal crack run away, like the house is, house is buckling. Even those, like there's there's ways to fix those nowadays. Like we had a horizontal crack in one of our investment properties in California, it was $8,000, we're fine, right? Like we knew the cost, it was easy. It's when you don't know how big the problem is because there's just so many unknowns. So that's what scares us. So yeah. um, that's, that, that would probably be the, the thing that frustrates me the most when, when, you know, I'm looking at inspections um, and looking at properties. It's such a great answer. Cause it's, uh, it also kind of gets at where this world's going, right? Which is those things, like if data can quantify it, then there is a solution out there. Right. And, and, and yeah, so yeah. It, it might be expensive, right. But, it's the thing that data can't quantify, which in this case is the thing that you can't see. <laughs> you don't know how yeah. bad it is. And we, we've, you know, we've made some headway in doing that. Um, like the classic example I give, which you'd be amazed how often this happens. Is you ever seen a, a real estate listing where they say, oh, it's you know, update electrical, new panel, right? And you're like, oh, cool, electrical's taken care of. Well, we, you know, we can check permit records. And if there's no permit showing that it's update electrical, well, and it was either a weekend warrior or it was an electrician that was too lazy to file the, the permit or maybe it's not licensed. Both are probably not good situations, right? So there are ways where, you know, there's some pretty simple correlations between, you know, what's publicly available, listing, uh, listing descriptions, seller disclosures, and then what's in county public municipality records that can help direct you even before an inspector shows up, right? And so I think what we get really excited about on how we can make inspections more impactful is the more that we can, if you think about inspections to take a step back, most inspections inspect the home. Like it's the same home that they just inspected, right? An inspector doesn't, you know, before inspectify, they didn't change the template to be reflective to the house, right? If you're inspecting a 1937 craftsman compared to a 1972 mid-century modern, you're going in with the same checklist every single time, right? And the more that we can actually dynamically adjust that scope of work based off one historic information, permit records, tax records, sell disclosure, but also the, the data that's already being captured while they're doing the inspection, the more we can capture these hidden things, right? So the classic example that I, I give is if we know the house has galvanized plumbing, it's a pretty good chance that water heater either needs a really good flush or it's on its last leg. So let's triple check that water heater because there, it, there might be a major uh, maintenance issues there that if you just think about it as like a normal water heater, not the fact that there's this correlative factor, which is galvanized plumbing, you're kind of leaving a lot of opportunity on the table, right? And so there is this tremendous opportunity to, to inspect homes uniquely because they're all heterogeneous, right? 
um, to create a much better output in terms of inspection. Awesome. Josh, have you become like the ultimate pin the tool man Taylor? You're like, <laughs> you've got to be like the best handyman ever now. Uh, you've like seen all these inspection reports and you know all these things that break. You're not like the one doing the stuff, but you're seeing just like a ton of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's just kind of interesting. It's like uh, probably more than you ever thought you'd be in the, in the space of uh, repairing homes and understanding what's wrong with them. Well, it's funny. I, um, as I mentioned, my wife does real estate investing. I'm, I'm still free labor, my wife. So our, when we first started flipping homes, it was all us. We would do everything. Mm-hmm. And so now I only touch things that are really expensive to outsource. I know I actually enjoy doing. So I actually do a lot of the electrical work for the houses that we flip. I still permit it. Yeah. And you can as a this. homeowner. R- yeah, R- rumor has it that uh, you still and, like doing your own electrical work. Uh, and you know, I actually find it extremely therapeutic, right? I put my headphones in. I actually somewhat come up with some of our best product ideas for Inspectify while wiring because it doesn't like you, you can't like completely space off, but it's like this very therapeutic work, right? Um, so you know, I'm slowly doing less and less because and I'm getting older and I just don't have the patience for it. But there are some things that I will always do because I enjoy it and it's just a lot cheaper than outsourcing and electrical is one of those. So that's funny. My uh so I used to own a, a grass mowing business. My my version of this is cutting grass. I uh I just if I there's something about cutting grass that's both therapeutic. The smell of it actually kind of brings back some uh can't beat it. Some good memories. And uh and then I, I have the same thing. I have really good thoughts that come to mind that are interesting and innovative because you're like, you can kind of cut grass on autopilot, but you still got to be somewhat paying attention and you're not falling asleep. And, um, Love it. Cool, I man. It. Uh, Josh, I, I end these things kind of the same way. Uh, I always ask people, you know, kind of take a step back and, you know, maybe in the next like three to five years, a little further down the kind of the pipeline in real estate investing, what's kind of something that you're really thinking about that, that seemed a little off the radar could be your business, could be a business that's impacted by your stuff, but something that you're like, man, this is going to be real interesting in a couple of years when a couple of these dominoes come together or, or your data becomes more prolific. Um, you know, just something, something kind of in the broader investing space. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of themes there. I'll, I'll try not to talk about my company, maybe just more out, outside of inspections, but I think one thing that in this won't be three to five years this is really happening now but it's really exciting is we're starting to see more and more institutional interest in short-term rentals which i think unlocks you know much higher cap rates um it also unlocks i think a really interesting way for everyday consumers to get in the in the investment game right um like there are interesting models where people can buy their second home first right instead of if you're living in manhattan and you can't afford to buy a condo in Manhattan, but you can for sure buy a three-bedroom house in, in upstate New York and cash flow that. Like it unlocks another path to home ownership while still being an investor as well, right? And so I think, you know, as that space becomes more mature, it's one that that I'm pretty excited about selfishly, both um, as an investor and as the CEO of a company in the prop tech space and the investment space. Um, but I, I think that that expands more that there's there's gonna be more and more, I think, ways to think about an investment property, right? Both in terms of how you you cash flow it, um, but also in terms of how you manage it, right? Um, and you know, I think as you're getting more and more people in this space, both from an operator perspective, but also from an inve- uh, technology perspective, it's gonna be pretty exciting. Um, you know, what uh what this unlocks and as both the 
transactional tools as well as the management tools become more digitized. It means that more and more investors can operate their investments sitting on a beach in California or in a beach in Hawaii and, and still having you know, markets and good cap rates and tertiary markets. So I think that modernization and digitalization will make things um, really compelling over the coming years. And we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. I mean, look, man, no doubt about it. Real estate investing, o- opening up to more people. I, mean, I think you need a couple of use cases of it. People being able to invest in, in different places, whether it be their first house, their third home, uh, but it not needing to be an active investment where they are hanging on every uh, electrical change and, and worrying if they're hiring the, the right electrician, uh, managing the day-to-day. I mean, it's, it's right up our wheelhouse and something we talk about at Home365 all the time. It's interesting. The last thing I'll say that you kind of hit on is this difference between the, what I would call like the mom and pop investor, right? Someone who's just wants to get into investing for the first time, first institutional. You know, it's, in some ways we see more people now being able to access investing that never did before, right? Yeah. Almost like how Robinhood opened up uh, acquiring stocks to more people. We see now more people being able to get into investing. Then on the other side, we see institutional investing increasing on certain classes at, at a rapid, rapid uh, rate, which tells me that even though some people may say we're at a high point in the market, I actually don't think we are. I actually think uh, as both those classes can need more, more money and more funds and, uh, and are able to invest than they, they couldn't before, I actually think the next couple of years you see some of these prices of single family homes and you know B-class, B-minus type, type properties and cash flowing areas, I actually think they have a lot of room to go. Uh, as as this kind of class becomes more accessible to people uh, through through companies like yourselves, so what we're up to, and, and others in the uh, ecosystem, I I absolutely agree. I mean, I think the um, the interesting correlation I like to think about is uh, from a, a real estate investment perspective is I think we all can agree that there's still a lot of rent appreciation that we should expect, right? Like we've had this like you know regulated um, impedance um, for rent, like, which was the pandemic, right? So a lot of moratoriums prevented rent increases. So I think you've, you've got more healthy rent appreciation. You have facts that short-term rentals can have higher cap rates um, in markets where you know home prices are much, much higher. And so I think as long as that, that rental appreciation can continue to outpace, you know, interest rates, right? I, I still completely agree. I think there's a lot more, a lot more movement to go. Um, And then to your point, like you've got more and more individuals and corporations that are getting in this space that may have different objectives, right? Like it it may not purely be a cap rate. Maybe it's more yield. Maybe it's another externality that we haven't thought about today. So I think there's a lot of of opportunity here um, within the space. Obviously, I'm biased, but I I would agree with that as well. It's awesome, Josh. Uh, Really cool conversation. Uh, If folks out there want to reach you, uh, want to hear about Inspectify or just want to pick your brain on something, What uh, what's the best way to reach you? You can uh, always check us out on the website, uh, Inspectify.com. If you want to reach me directly, it's just Josh at Inspectify.com. Always love to hear from from other investors interested in this space. So feel free to drop me a line. Happy to chat more. Cool. Thanks, Josh, for joining us. Uh, Real Estate Hackers podcast. Awesome, awesome tech you're after and, uh, and really cool how data starts to change the game in the inspection space. Uh, Love to talk to you more. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Chad. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thanks for joining us today. One more request. If you want to meet us in person, 
Come join us at one of our live events. You can check them out at realestatehackers.com, held once a month in cities around the country. You can actually follow us on Instagram at Real Estate Hackers, if you're cool, like my wife is. And if you have a great real estate hack, hit me up and maybe we'll even get you on the show. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brand production. Eric and team are unbelievable. Thanks for all you do for the show. See you soon.